0: Short church. This is uh, Family Sunday. We're really excited about today, right? Kids, children, really good to have you in the gathering with us. I'm really excited about it because this whole sermon is basically gonna be about uh, loving you really, really well. Actually, this whole sermon is, is, I'm gonna teach, what does the Bible teach about parenting, what your parents' job is. Uh, we're gonna talk about how awesome it is to be your parents, so... Really glad you're here. Really excited about this Family Sunday. If this is your first Sunday with us, we are trying something new where um, our kids ministry is joining us other than zero to four. And so this should be a lot of fun. Let me just say though, if this is not your uh, phase of life, I promise you the impact of today's uh, message will change your life because even if you're not a parent, you've been parented or are being parented, And you understand, and understanding what's going on in this dynamic as parents and as children are growing up is really, really crucial. As one really smart woman told me this week, if you want to change a culture, if we want to change this next generation, which happens in the Old Testament, if you look, the next generation didn't follow God. Why? Because the church before them, the families before them did not sow in, did not teach, did not raise up these children in the ways of God. So... This is gonna be a whole sermon on what does it look like to be the church and love kids? So lastly, uh, Jesus, he never got married, but he loved kids, kids loved him. And so if you wanna be like Jesus, then this will be a very important sermon. So uh, right now, just so you know, we're in the middle of a series where we're addressing a lot of topics um, that are um, needing to be addressed. But the reason why, this sermon is here right now is because parenting on these topics is massively important. So, I'm going to try to as best as I can in this sermon help us as parents learn how to do this, okay? And us as a church. Now, we should pray and then we'll get going, okay? All right. Let's pray. You guys ready? So, if you're if you're, you know, you guys you guys in Sunday school, you guys pray. So, I'm going to go on my knees because I'm that just shows that like I really need help. So, If you guys wanna pray for me, you can too, but I'm gonna pray. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for these kids in here. I thank you that you made them, you love them. And I pray as we learn about what your word says about their parents and how important it is to be present, to be you, to reflect you, to live for you. I just, I pray that this message would really impact all of us I pray you'd help me teach Holy Spirit. I pray to use these gifts. And I just, I pray for those who are new or even not in this phase of life at all, that they would be excited about what your word has to say about family. And just pray for this time. I pray that um, you would challenge us, you'd grow us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so in this series, we've said a few times that as followers of Jesus, we're we're asking the question, especially when it comes to the the big topics we've been talking about, we're asking the question, um, not, not, you know, what am I doing with my life or why am I doing this thing? We're asking the question when it comes to the big issues of life, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming by what I give myself to? And so um, the reason why that's such an important question is because What Jesus is doing in your life, his primary mission and purpose for every human being that takes a breath is he's forming you to become like Jesus. Jesus is forming us into his image. He's redeeming us, he's rescuing us, he's renewing us. So youth and children, you know this, we are born into a world not owned by us, right? We're born to show over and over and over again the goodness, the care, and the character of God. That's what we're born. We're born, as the Bible says, that we're image bearers, which means we exist to show, image out God to the rest of the world, okay? When God called Adam and Eve to have children and multiply, the purpose was to fill the earth with his image, with his glory, So, God's intention and design was for this to take place through families. So, this is really important. Families exist to display God's glory, which tells us something about parenting, right? Parenting is about Him, parenting is about displaying God, parenting is about reflecting God the Father. Parenting is about seeing him formed in the children he's given us. That's what parenting's all about. If That's what the big picture of families is about. So parenting, ready, okay, children, if you're taking notes, this is coming up, ready? Parenting, which does what God intends it to do, begins with this radical and humbling recognition that our children don't actually belong to us. That's your blank, yeah, that's when you fill that in. Our children, don't actually belong to us, but to the one who created him or her. So parents, look at me. What this means on a street level is parenting is not first about what we want for our children, and that's really important, or what we want from our children, but about what God in his grace has planned to do through us in our children. Parenting is about helping our children live in sync with God's reality. That's what parenting is. Hey, that's your other fill in the blank, just so you guys know. So here's the big picture. Get ready, get ready kids, because here comes the point. Here's what we're going to do. If that's the big picture, so parenting, your kids are not yours. They're about being formed to the image of God, that you're, you're like a steward. Here's what we need to ask what the Bible teaches. Three questions. What is the purpose of parenting? Okay. Where does parenting happen? That's what we're going to look at. And what ages should parents be prepared for? This is massively important when it comes to how we obey what the Bible says about parenting. So we want to know what is the purpose of it, where does it really happen, and what ages should we as parents, the church, be thinking about, be prepared for, especially even as we talk about children's ministry coming up here. So if you have your Bibles, now please open them to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. We're look at verses four to seven to start with. Just, you know, Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. It's part of the five books, the Pentateuch, that Moses writes to inform Israel about who they are, their story, what God's done to redeem them. And in Deuteronomy, it's this one long sermon of like, here's what's happened. Here's what God has done. He's split the Red Sea. He's, he's taken you from slavery into freedom with him, relationship with him. And then he talks about what does it mean to be devoted to the Lord, okay? And here's what he says, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love God with your feelings. He needs to be the center of what you love And then he says, and with all your soul, this means like your whole being. And then he says, with all your might, so every fiber with your purpose and your strength. And then he says, and these words that I command you today shall be, where? On your, what's our word? Heart, on your heart. And then, here it is parenting. You shall teach them diligently frequently, ongoing, at every stage, intentionally to your children. And then he says, and shall, and, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." So God has designed that parents would be the principal, consistent, constant, and faithful tool in his hands for the purposes of creating a God consciousness, a God enjoying, a God submission in the lives of our children. That they'd through, that, that parents through your life on life teaching, influencing, modeling, instructing, you would form them to be whole men and whole women who with their whole hearts and minds, they would love God, they would put them in the center. That's the purpose. So, so in other words, our job as parents is to teach our children what is worth living for and what is worth dying for. And this is what the Bible says most about parenting. Namely, there is no way that little children will, will or can even begin to make choices in life unless they already have a worldview, a story that they're invited in and are in sync with. Somebody has to say, this is the way things are. Somebody has to say, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what we're gonna live for. This is what we're, what's worth dying for. Proverbs one says this, hear my son, your father's instruction. Okay, so how many of you are sons? Raise your hand. Well, I guess, you know, all the men, but like, you know, all the kids in this room, if you're a son, raise your hand. Sons, so listen to what it says. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. This is really weird, but I'll tell you what it means. For they are a graceful garland for your head and penitence for your neck, okay? Meaning this, your parents' teaching will make your life beautiful. They will make it shine. So, so this is why this sermon is so urgent in these topics we're addressing. Because parents, look at me. Our culture has made parents walk in a lot more insecurity over their parental influence. Because it says you're not the experts. Our culture today says to parents, you need to outsource your education and training to professionals. You don't really know about this kind of stuff. You gotta give your kids to the teachers, the counselors, the tutors, the coaches, even the, you know, the churches, that's where they're gonna learn. That's where they're gonna develop. But that's not the biblical vision. And I want to begin there, but but I, first I want to say, don't hear me say that you know there's not time for specialists and specific needs that need to come up. What I'm saying is this, the stuff that matters, what we live for, who we're made for, what is good, what marriage is, what gender is, what purpose is, where identity is found, how original sin impacts us, salvation, living in sync with the realities of a good yet broken world that Christ is redeeming is our primary God-given responsibility of the parent. And this is the greatest need for your children. This series that we've been talking about, that this should be boring to them because they've heard it so many times from you. Ephesians 4, I mean, Ephesians 6 says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in what? What does it say? The discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the main task. It is teaching, and I wanna help us in this. So successful parenting, this is really key, is not about achieving goals, by the way, that you have no power to produce. Successful parenting is about being a usable and faithful tool in the hands of the one who alone is able to, to produce good things in our children. It's about aligning them up to the good news. There's a really uh, incredible verse, just in a few verses later in Deuteronomy six, we actually get a picture of, of, of a son coming to you know, their parent at a different stage. So you know, my guess is th- th- this child's about eight years old. How many of you are close to eight years old? Okay, this is some, some of the questions. We're gonna talk about your age in, in a little bit here. But listen to this, okay? When, a, when your son or daughter asks you in time to come, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to worship, fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Okay, now notice this. The child asks, what is the meaning of the commandments, the rules? How does the parent respond? The parent doesn't respond with, well, here's the limits and here's what you need to obey. Look at these commands. No, the parent remembers and recounts the gospel story. What lights our daily path is a story. So, parenting, you're inviting them into the story where God is real, He rescues His people, and we live for Him in the everyday. So, Jeff Vanderstelt, in his book Saturate, He describes a time when his unbelieving friend witnessed him parenting, which transformed how this this guy saw Christians live out the gospel. And I wanted to share this example because it's really impacted me on my parenting um, and and how we instruct our kids in the story of God. So here's the example. It won't be on the screen yet, but but a portion will be. So Randy recalls a time when I was disciplining Caleb. Okay, How many of you kids have been disciplined before? Right, you get in trouble? You get disciplined. So listen to this story. This is what happens with one dad when he's disciplined. So Randy recalls a time when I was disciplining Caleb, our second child, he remembers Caleb running up the stairs after he had been confronted for doing something wrong. I ran up the stairs after him. Randy told me that when he saw me do that, he thought, Caleb, you better run fast because you're gonna get hit. That was all he knew in regards to what a father does when he disciplines his son. He told me later that what happened next forever changed his perspective on being a father. Okay, this will be on the screen. Caleb, I said, you don't have to run away. I love you, son. You don't have to hide. You're safe with me. I pulled him close to me. At first, Caleb was afraid. He knew he had done wrong. In that moment, I reminded him that Jesus had already died for his sin. Do you believe that, Caleb, I asked him. Yes, dad, he said. If you do, you don't need to hide. You don't need to cover up. You don't need to be afraid. You are forgiven and loved by God, the father. Do you want to talk to God about what just happened between you and me and downstairs? Yes, he replied. God, remember, he's your father, Caleb. You can call him father or daddy. I regularly tell my children I'm not their real father. God is. He just brought me, he just brought them into the, The world through me and placed me over them for a while to direct them to their true dad. So Caleb prayed, Father, I'm sorry for what I just did. I disobeyed my dad. Will you forgive me? And I told him, Caleb, you are forgiven because of what Jesus did. And he died for your sin, and I forgive you as well. I love you, son. And God, your father, loves you very much. Now he goes on and he gives Caleb a tangible expression of discipline. A consequence, but but dads and moms, hear me. When we remind our children that Jesus died to forgive them from every sin, and when we teach them about who they are and who and where who they're for, and we teach them that because of our sin, we need a Savior. We sin because of our nature. This is why we need Jesus. This is why Jesus is everything. When we do that, you know what we're doing we're training our children, look at me, to put their faith in Jesus, not in themselves. That is the essence of biblical parenting. That's the goal. This is instructing them in the way they should go. It's telling them their story, telling them their savior, telling them their sufficiency, telling them daddy has done that too. Mom has done that too. Okay, recent, recently, Uh, Buddy Gids, Buddy Gids, uh, he doesn't know I'm going to talk about him. Sorry, Buddy Gids. Um, He's been having a lot of nightmares. You can pray for him if you think about it. Um, And so one of the things that we do is we anointed your door door with oil. Remember that? And we prayed and we asked the Holy Spirit to protect your room. And then we opened up his little children's Bible to one of the Psalms there. And we read the Psalm before we go to bed. And um, we always pray (laughs) multiple times. Um, but I, but here's what we're doing. We're teaching Gideon to trust in God. See, the work of parenting is we're, we're helping them see th- this being is everything you need. He really is in control. You can't live your life without him. We need him. Our, our work for them is to trust in Jesus. So, okay. There's, let, let me do a few things here. Uh, this book, we have it out there now, is probably the best book on parenting I've ever read. And I've read many books, but, but just highly recommend if you want to learn more about bringing the gospel into your conversations with your kids. Okay, so let's keep going. Where does parenting happen? So if that's the purpose of parenting, shape them in the gospel, teach and instruct, that's the primary purpose so that they'll love Jesus, trust in him and follow him and make disciples who make disciples. So where does it happen? Where does parenting take place? Number one, it happens with you. It happens with the church. Just know the church is the best place to raise children. Meaning, thank you. Yes, we should do that more. it is. It's it's the best place and what I don't when I say church I don't mean just an hour on a Sunday morning. I mean the body. I mean family, okay? But but here but here's why modeling what does it look like to follow Jesus is your best parenting. Hands down, the best way. The greatest impact on our kids' lives will not be the instruction, but in how we lived in we lived our lives in sync with God's reality. John Wesley, arguably one of the greatest theologians in our day, in the history of the 19th century and 18th century said this, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians of England. Moms, that's that's an incredible sentence from John Wesley. Charles Spurgeon, quoting from one of the Bible verses says, trade up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. So before you can lead your home, you have to follow your God. You have to love him. You have to talk about him. You have to show your kids how much you need him. Can I, can I ask you this? Um, if you asked your kids, so you guys can write this down if you want, in one of those like blanks if you want. If you asked your kids, what is the most important thing to mom and dad? What would they say? What is the most important thing to mom and dad? What would they say? If you were to assess how you spend your time, what would you say are the priorities of your life? What times in your week is, is strategically and intentionally given to your relationship with God and your family's relationship with God? Now, I'm not saying fake your spirituality, but I'm saying, is he your pursuit? Do your kids see what they hear about in, your own, in their own homes? That's, that's huge. Second, let me say this, talking about when your parenting happens, do you have discipleship times? Do you have intentional times built into the rhythm of your family's life for the purpose of thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel? So notice in Deuteronomy, it says this, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So of course that speaks to everyday life, but those are intentional Places? Do you have spaces where your whole family does something, you know, fun together, but spaces where you have in deep conversations? To give us some ideas of spaces, you know, you could have family meals where you plan certain, you know, meals together, where you sit down all at the table, where you have creative questions that you're trying to come up with that are not just yes and no. You know, you're asking the Holy Spirit, please help me because I just wanna yell at them, but I wanna ask them questions, you know, do you have those intentional spaces? Now, I don't have the time to preach on this, but we we have found another resource. This is, this is probably the best thing I've read on how to actually practically live out family rhythms. It is some of the best work I've seen, gives you helps in, in commentaries on it. This is out of uh, Matt Chandler's church in, in Texas called The Village Church. Uh, here's, a, here's a picture of one of like, just one of the pages. So it's like on your family prayer. These are daily discipleship time ideas. Then he has weekly family discipleship time ideas. Then they have monthly, but, but here's my question. Where do you have this? Is this a part of your family's rhythm? Okay. Third, third point. What ages should parents be prepared for? Now, this one was hard for me because I'm like a, you know, like let's, we're going to go through the book of Galatians in the new year. I love verse by verse. Let's study it. But I, have, I felt convicted while I was preparing for this sermon that in Deuteronomy 6 and throughout the scriptures, there seems to be, and all the research as well, there seems to be pivotal turning points when Deuteronomy 6 needs to change. How you parent needs to change. And so in this third one, what ages should parents be prepared for? Um, it's really important we talk about these ages, okay? So the ages are... Two, and around that age, two, your parenting needs to change. Your parenting needs to change around eight years old in that that zone or era. Twelve, huge age, we'll talk about in a second, and then 18. So these are turning points for parenting where you're going to take Deuteronomy 6 and all the things we've been talking about in this series, and this is where you adapt, okay? Is everyone with me? Good. Okay, so let's begin with age two, age two. How do we do Deuteronomy six in the first, you know, like, I mean, with two year old and a little bit, you know, two, three, four, five, six. We'll spend the least time here, but in this stage, it is all about moving from primary care, which is, you know, like feeding them, changing their diaper, making sure they can, you know, burp to this, to forming their character. This age is so key that you're thinking about their character, you're thinking about shepherding their hearts, Right In this stage, parents, you know this, discipline is everything. It's everything, because in this stage, they're beginning to look at you in the eyes and say this, no, right? And you're like, but they were so sweet before. This is when they just start to disobey, okay? And this is this this time of parenting where you go, this is terrible. This is a terrible two-year-old, right? There's a phrase for that. This is, you're looking at their wills and you're helping them establish in their minds there's an authority. This is the most important aspect of this stage. You need to teach your children there's an authority that they were built to flourish under. Let me say it this way. The most important heart issues for young children is authority. That's the biggest heart issue for children from two upwards to five. Is there authority? Okay, here's what one put it. Children tend not to ask their parents for more rules and closer accountability. Children tend not to celebrate when they have been told what to do. Children tend to look at authority as something that robs them from freedom. Children tend to not see authority as a blessing. Natural rebellion to authority, which is in some ways the state of all sinners, is one of the principal heart struggles for every human being. So in this stage, it's about their hearts, their character, listen, listen, that comes by shaping their wills. Character and heart comes by shaping their wills. So between the ages of two, certainly not younger than 18 months, but around two, and say all the way to five or six, around first grade, look, look right at me. If this is not established, you've lost the next stage. You've lost the next stages. If, if you don't have a consistent follow through in this area of will, discipline, you've lost the rest. Proverbs 19, 18, the Bible speaks to, outside of instructing discipline, the most on parenting. So let me read you some verses. This is actually my favorite verse. I don't even know it's in the Bible, but let me, it's kind of funny. Discipline your son for there is hope. The Bible actually has to say, do not kill your kid. Look at that. Do, do, this is the best. Hey, parents, do not set your heart on putting him to death. That actually has to be in the Bible. It's funny, the next verse, I just took it out. It actually says, do not withhold discipline from a child or try to kill them. So, but most of the parents are like, oh my gosh, I, that's, I, thank you. I didn't know the Bible said, I'm going to memorize that verse. Proverbs 13, 14, whoever spares the rod, discipline, discipline, you spare it. If they say no and you say, if you say no again, you're, you're going to your room and they say it again. If you do not send them up physically, you lost, you lost. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Okay, next stage, really important stage, uh, stage of eight. So this is the stage where you go from rearing, this is really key, to relating. In rearing them, which is what we just talked about, you're doing three primary things. You're giving unconditional love. You know, you're, you're running Caleb up the stairs and you're saying to him, Jesus died for you, buddy, but this is a concept. You know, you're, you're teaching them this story formed gospel. You're, you're maturing them. Um, where am I here? Unconditional love, providing primary care and establishing authority and discipline. But when you move from rearing to relating, you begin to develop the kind of relationship that creates a comfort zone. So in this stage of life, this is a place where a lot of communication needs to take place, because you know this, okay? How many of you have eight year olds How many of you are kind of like seven, eight right now? Seven, eight, anybody? Okay, okay, so you'll know this. Right now at eight, they still like yearn for time with you, right, they still depend on you, they're starting to also kind of depend on themselves, like uh, this is when they will start to branch out a bit Bottom line, around this age, they're starting to mature and the relationship, look right at me, is less of a given at this stage. As one put it, right now, they want you to play with them, but it won't last. And one day you'll be wanting to play with them and if you miss this turning point, the relationship you long for won't be there because you missed your chance to go from rearing your child to relating to your child. So practically, in this stage, this is going to sound very simple, but, but we miss it. We miss it. The key in this stage is, is spending time. Quality and quantity time. Now, let me speak into something on the North Shore, okay? And, and, and uh, children, this is in your notes. Don't confuse relational time with activity time. Okay, activity time, it looks a lot like relational time. It feels like relational time, it smells like, you know, you're just going like, yeah, we're so relational, but but it doesn't actually result in relationship. Perfect example, one we just entered into, um, let's say you want to, you know, spend time with your family, so you sign up your son for soccer, and, you know, you take out your calendar, you write down all the games, the practices, and you make this commitment, you're excited about it, how you're gonna spend time with your son. But follow me, you actually don't spend time with your son. You take him to practices, you drop him off, you go to the games, you sit you know, behind the fence or on the bleachers and you're like, yes, I'm doing this, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm having this relational time. You're not. He interacts with his teammates and his coaches more than he does with you. Sure, you'll have the ride, but it feels like you invested relational time, but you haven't, at least not optimally, okay? So many confuse activities with the time it takes to build community. Think what could have happened if you had taken the time that you spent sitting in the bleachers and actually spent it with your son, talking, interacting, playing soccer with him, getting to know one another face-to-face, now this has nothing to do whether your kids should be in soccer, okay? Gideon's in soccer. A lot of you are in sports. Sports are really healthy for families. There's a lot of great research on that, but please don't because you will confuse activity time with relational time. It's great your kids are in activity, but don't confuse them. That's all I'm trying to say. You need in this time to build intimate parent-child relationships. Relational times where, where, you know, you're creating comfort, where you're creating this idea of knowledge and intimacy, where they feel like they got you and it's uninterrupted. You know, it's times where you're sitting down. Maybe maybe your thing is you go to Starbucks or you spend a whole hour just being together and you're talking, it's dinners, it's one-on-one, it's reading, it's 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 doing those sports with them, it's weekends away, it's all of that Um so so my question is, are you giving yourself relationally in these years? If you're not, do it. I don't think there's a single father or mother on this planet that wants to look back on their time as a parent and feel like they missed it, right? To wake up one day and find that that time has come when your kid's no longer running after you, but you're running after them and they're no longer interested. So parents, actually this is for everyone, so everybody. I just want to speak to everyone about something for a moment. And uh, it's about these, okay? I want to talk to you about this and the impulses that we have towards this in our devices. Just so you know, what is killing relational time, what is, what is dehumanizing your relationship with your kids, are these rectangular devices. Huge research, okay? We're gonna do a Sunday school class in three weeks on October 20th on this, on being the tech wise family. So we're gonna do a whole class on this on October 20th. So come to that. We'll try to make it more visible so you know when it is. But huge research was done for this book um, where they researched kids, hundreds and thousands of kids, teenagers, ages of of, of eight and 12, And it was staggering what they they found. But listen to this. They were asked, what is the number one thing you would like to change in your relationship with your parents? This was the most common answer. Today, the research is show, it's, it's crazy. In this generation, all the historical markers of rebellion that we grew up in is actually going down. So just, you know, teenagers as a whole, they're not getting as high as much as in our day, surprisingly, because we're like, aren't they all getting high? Marijuana is legal. No, they're not. Statistically, they're not, teen pregnancy is going down, um, partying is going down. Do you know what's skyrocketing? Like I'm talking like skyrocketing, like huge anxiety, depression, self-harm and suicide, like skyrocketing. Why? This. Let me say a few things. If you have a teenager, do not let them go to bed with their devices, ever. 82% of teenagers sleep with their phone, 70% plus parents sleep with their phones. I cannot emphasize how harmful and just bad it is. And this is not just a kid thing, it's an adult thing. It's just not healthy to have this glowing mechanism with you 24/7. Your teens are not well-equipped to help their friends, which that's what they'll say. I need to help my friend in the middle of the night. They they won't think rightly when they're fatigued and will probably do something they shouldn't. One study asked teenagers, if there was one thing your parents could help you in as it relates to technology, what would it be? Do you know what they said? Sleep. It's disrupting their sleep. Kids don't have the disciplines to disconnect from relationships at night. They're, they're so involved. It's, it's, and of course, if you're a teenager, you wanna connect with your friends. But this is huge. Parents, tell your kids October 1st, no phones. No phones at night, in your bed, they stay in your charging station. So this is one commitment I've made as a parent. When I come home now, and you, your dads, I can talk to you, I can push back on you in a second. But um, when you come home at night, you put this upstairs or wherever in a charging station, You can check it after dinner, maybe for 15, 20 minutes if you've got to answer something, and then it goes away. And you don't sleep with it, okay? There's there's things that you can buy at Bed Bath & Beyond called alarm clocks. And white noise machines. Don't be lazy. This is killing your family. Hands down. So I want to encourage you, let's be that church, okay? Dads, this has to be you, because you're the one who's like, I can't put my phone down. I got emails coming in from Singapore and like, okay. You might get one email from Singapore, but you can check it at that slotted time because you're gonna look back on your life and your emails from Singapore won't matter. The more our kids are in technology, the more lonely they are. Just whenever I'm driving around, I'm always looking at the road, okay? But once in a while when I'm not, I'll, I'll, especially during like kid drop-offs and stuff, I'll, 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 I'll kind of like to watch parents. It's, it's staggering to me. I see more dads with their headphones in than I do teenagers. Um, but the saddest ones I always see is, is like, you know, like the parents will be driving and then the teenage kid will be in the other, just looking out the window with their head, like won't even, like, like something happened at breakfast. Um, but it's amazing how much it happens. So you're still a parent. You need to now decide with each other, no devices in the car ever. Like this has to be a part of your, all the kids are like, this is the worst sermon. What are you guys doing? Okay, let's move on. Come to that class. Come to this class. Next, age 12. Okay, so if eight years old, how many of you are 12 and older, kind of in that 11, 12, 13, 14? Any A-H-K, yeah, one, this'll be relevant for that guy. Okay, um, if aid was about building community, you know, relation, spending time, this stage is all about communication. So if you've been through this recently, you'll remember. One week, you're, this, is, this is my life right now with my daughter, wherever she is, you should tell me you love me. Okay, one week, your fifth grader laughs at your jokes, right, wants to hang out with you wherever you go, Asks you what, even asks you what you should wear, gives you hugs all the time before school. The next week, you parents will know this, you're not funny. They don't want to be seen with you. They only don't care what you think, but they actually do the opposite. And when you say, love you, have a good day, it's like you didn't say anything. Well, you have to, re- I love you, have a good day. No? You guys can hear me, right? Right. That's this age. Okay, welcome to the wonder of the tween years. This, this is between childhood and adolescence, right before puberty strikes. Uh, usually, seen between the ages of ten and thirteen. Um, this is the stage. This is really important. This stage, they really ask questions. Now, now parenting, the, you cannot miss this stage as a church. We need to listen to what Tracy says because we cannot miss this stage. Interesting, the only time in the Bible we actually see Jesus as a child is this, he's 12 years old. And guess what he's doing? He's asking tons of questions. This is the stage of asking questions. They, they wanna know. And if they don't hear the answers from you, look right at me. They're gonna go from the, to the world, worse, to Google, or they'll go to their, you know, to their friends. So this is your window. One study I came across said that over a thousand children between ages of 10 and 13, showed that the, number, that the number who felt uncomfortable talking to their parents about things like sexuality doubled, listen to me, doubled after puberty. So, so don't miss this. Prior to that, just before puberty, they were wide open to instruction and guidance. So between 10 and 13, wide open. Once puberty hits, all bets are off. There was another study of over 2,000 youth which asked them to complete the following sentence, I wish, the, one of the most frequent answers turned out to be this, I wish I could talk to my parents about some of my problems. Same study went out to about 2,000 parents, fill in the sentence after the words, I wish, top answer. I wish I could talk with my teenager about the things troubling him. So, so look at look. At, this is so key. There's a great window of opportunity that's open between the ages of 12, ten and thirteen for the pivotal issues of young adulthood. It closes at puberty. Okay, I just had a talk with Naraya, who's ten, about bad pictures and good pictures. If you know what I'm talking about. Do you think in three years from now she's wanting to sit with her dad and talk about that? No. But too many parents wait till they're teenagers. This is a pivotal stage for Deuteronomy 6. So here's what this means. You need to create channels. If you're a parent or you're, you're involved in kids ministry, you need to create channels of communication during this time. Lots of Starbucks. This means you're going to have to know what to talk about and, and, and then take the initiative to talk about it. So I'm going to help you a little bit. Did a little research. These are the main things that matter to a 12-year-old. So here's what's on the mind of a 12-year-old. The top thing, school and performance and grades, their looks, friends and how fan. Uh, friends and how friends treat them, violence and bullying, drinking. This one's interesting. Being poor when they get older. I'm sure mom and dad are like, we can't afford that. Like every ten, you know. So so twelve year olds are really freaking out if they're going to be too poor when they're older. Uh, and then and then intimacy. I won't say the word intimacy. So so look right at me. No twelve year old is going to say, excuse me, mom like I'm not in the popular crowd and I'm getting bullied online like what should I do like what would what would my faith do what would Jesus say in that no one those are conversations that need to take place violence and bullying so we need to find spaces where your kids love and you know just say hey I got I got three crazy things I want to talk to you about today this is when they're open. I read of one woman who remembered that as a young teenager, she wanted desperately to talk to her mom about intimacy, but she just couldn't get enough courage because she's 12. To approach her, she said this, if only there had been a word or a lead on my mother's part, the floodgates of sharing a painful problem would have been released. So a common sentence you hear from parents is, well, like, I hope they've not miss that youth group. That's not the youth group's job. They need to hear about same-sex relationships. They need to hear about marriage. They need to hear that from you, from you. Last stage is 18, but we're out of time. So if you have an 18-year-old, I'm really sorry, we'll talk about it after. Um, <laughs> I will say really quickly, in this stage, you, you are, you're kind of walking into the prodigal son parable where you're, you're letting them go and you're, you're saying, You will be loved, and I'm coming. I'm going to run for you. I'm not going anywhere. This is the toughest stage, the toughest stage. Uh, Ted Tripp has a whole book on it. I'll I'll talk about it after. So we do need to move on because this sermon is getting longer, and you guys are doing a really good job. Aren't the kids doing a really good job? Let's do this. I haven't even heard one of you guys. You guys are great. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time praying for our kids. We're going to pray for you guys today, okay? Don't freak out. We're gonna take communion. But before we do that, I've actually asked Tracy to come on up and I just wanna share a few things going on at the shore with our kids ministry. We're really excited about this. It's been my personal conviction that, and with along with the elders and the staff and and many of us, that <coughs> children's ministry... And, and, and really being a place at the shore where kids love coming to church, where they're being theologically just poured into and trained up is of highest priority. Because here's what else I know. If I invite my great neighbors and they have two kids to church, they will more than likely come because of their kids. And if their kids come in these buildings and don't wanna come back, they won't come back. So we have to, as a church, I'm passionate about putting more money, more time, more priority into making a great kids ministry. I want the greatest teachers. I want our kids to have the most consistent loved time. I want them to be so excited. The other conviction we've had is this, is children coming in and seeing their parents hear big words and seeing their parents worship God. And you're gonna serve communion to each other if, if you've talked to your kids about that. That's an amazing aspect of being the church. And so. One of the things that you need to hear from me as your pastor and from Tracy, who's gonna talk in here in a second, is our biggest area of pain in this ministry and of hurt is our kids' ministry. It's, it is the number, like one area of need. We are losing some of the best people all the time. And do you know why kids', kids ministry people don't stay? Number one reason, and it's actually a really good reason, is they don't get to go to church. They don't get to come in and experience and worship Jesus and hear the sermon and experience what God's doing in their lives. And even though the resourcing is a really small right now, if one of the teachers is sick, guess who's doing it next week, them again. Some of our teachers serve three times a month because there's not enough help. And we have these different age divides. And so one of the biggest burdens on my heart this year is how do we make the Shore Church the healthiest for the Shore Church? Meaning, how do we how do we allow every member to be able to go to church? And so we have a whole vision talk on it, but I wanna share with you something that we're gonna try, okay? We're gonna spend six months with a vision that I, that I think is gonna posture us to be the healthiest we can be. And there's a few things I'm gonna talk about in regards to that. Um, and then I'll have Tracy speak. So here's, here's what we're thinking. On November 10th, we're going to have two... Uh, services on a Sunday. Two things that are gonna be happening on a Sunday, and I'm gonna explain them to you. The reason we're doing this is not primarily for mission, although that is our mission and we hope that God uses it for it. The primary reason we're doing this is for the health and the future in the next five, 10 years of our kids ministry being incredible. So what does this look like? Well, one, we, know, we wanna make sure everyone who serves in kids ministry gets to go to church. Okay. Second, we're realizing that we need to do a better job teaching and equipping parents and, and doing a lot more interesting, cool things in Sunday school. So this is the idea. We're only going to try this to Easter. We're going to start November 10th, Okay. and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And we'd be like, hey, that didn't work. What do you feel like, James? I feel like well, let's try something else. So we're going to try this, and, and I'm passionate about this. So here's what this is going to look like, okay? We're gonna have a 9 a.m. service, a 9 a.m. time and a 10.30. So in the 9 a.m., we're gonna have a full kids program. It's gonna be awesome. We We need you to join this team. It's gonna be great. You can come, drop your kids off at Children's Ministry and then come to the service. That's option one. Option two is... Uh, you come to the 1030 gathering. At that gathering, it's gonna look a little bit like this. Every Sunday, we're gonna have kids sermon handout sheets. So if you love, like you'll be surprised. I want you to ask your kids, did you like today? And they'll be like, yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, some of them may not, but my kids loved going to church. They loved filling this stuff out. I know I'm preaching too long. You like it, Joe? Um, so we won't go 13 minutes past my time. But uh, so, so option two is, there's zero to four at the 10:30, and you come with your family and you go to church, okay? Here's option three. I'm really excited about option three. Option three, how many of you grew up and you went to church where you all went to Sunday school? So, like your kids went to Sunday school, the adults went to Sunday school, and then after, you guys all went to church together. It was like this crazy thing. You all sat in the same pew and you you've had a Sunday church together. This is the same amount of time that you're coming for, but we're, we're doing more intentional stuff with this time. Because here's what I'm convicted about, and the elders are really excited about, is we're going to start on November 10th running seasonal Sunday school classes for adults. We're going to be teaching on big topics, theology. Um, we have Daryl Johnson's teaching coming in. Like We're just really excited to have Sunday school classes, so you could all go to church with your family at nine, put them in Sunday school, you go get trained and equipped and then you bring them in here for a worship service. So that's option three. But our goal in this is to provide for the future, maybe we're not right now, we'll feel it, but Lord willing for the future a really healthy kids ministry where they wanna be the teachers every week. So Tracy, we love you. Welcome. You t- no, let's give Tracy a round of applause because she's been amazing. Yeah. So maybe share with us your heart, and then what does it look like right now? What's the need, and then um, and then I'll lead us into a time of prayer for the for our kids, and then we'll respond in communion. But yeah.
1: Hi. Well, if if you didn't don't know me yet, my name is Tracy. I'm uh, the director of the kids uh, here at the Shore Church, and first of all, I just want you to know that I love your kids. I love them all so much, and I wish that I could just be in all the classes every week because they just totally awesome, and it's so exciting to come in on a Sunday and see them and hear about what happened in their week and just get to know them a little bit better. Um, That being said, like James has already mentioned, we are short on volunteers. Um, I'm going to run through the the classes that we have, um, but before I get there, um, one of the things that really struck me when I took over the role of Kids Director is our mission statement on the website. We exist to make Jesus known and that's just been on my heart ever since I took on this role, is that's what I want to see for our Sunday classes. I don't want our Sunday classes to just be an hour of babysitting, and we just put the kids in there, and we do whatever we can just to like get the time going so that their parents can come and pick them up. Um, I feel that us as volunteers can take our time in there and show the kids who Jesus is by the way that we treat them and teach them. And take time to get to know them and listen to them. And we grow with them. Um, The time with the kids is just such a blessing. Uh, So I really encourage you to think about that when we look at the slides. So we have five classes. We have a zero to 23 month class. Look how cute they are, and we have ratios, so the ratios that are on the bottom of all of the slides is a legal requirement. We are not allowed to have less than 1 to 3, so one adult to three children in the nursery. Um, The next class that we have are ages 2 to 3, and the ratio there goes up a little bit because the kids are a little bit more independent, so they're 1 to 5, and then we go 4 to kindergarten, that is also a 1 to 5 ratio. and then a grade 1 to 3, we jump to 1 to 10, and grades 4 to 6 is also 1 to 10. Um, Now, what that means is we are limited by the number of volunteers we have in a class as to how many children we will be able to take into that class. And unfortunately, we've had a few times in nursery and in age 2 to 3 where we've had to turn kids away because we don't have the correct ratios, and that's just... Awful. Breaks my heart. Um, And in grades 1, to 3, and 4, to 6, we're very, very short. That's our greatest need right now. Um, So for the last couple of weeks, and you'll probably hear groans from all the grades 4 to 6s, we've had to combine classes. So the grade 1 to 3s and 4 to 6s have been together. And this is not ideal because of ages, and then the classes just get really big. If we don't get volunteers, For those um, older groups, we are going to probably have to, for for a while until we get more, um, stop the grade four to six class and put the volunteers that we have into the grade one to three class. So I would really like to ask you, um, just from listening to what James had to say this morning about parenting, what our vision of a church is, what our mission statement is, we exist to make Jesus known, to just really take some time and pray. And if you have a gifting of teaching um, or spiritual gifts that you feel that you could use in the kids ministry that could bless these children, I promise you they will bless you too. Um, It's amazing what you learn from them. I I would like to speak to you and I can tell you more details about it. I um, have forms with me to sign you up straight away. So please come and, and find me after the service. I will be at that desk in the front with all the balloons. Um, Because I'm going to be handing out prizes to anyone